Company Watch Financial Analytics. Hello and welcome to the Company Watch podcast. I'm Joe Kettner, CEO of Company Watch, and I'm joined by Nick Hood, Financial and Commercial Risk Analyst, and by Philip King, former CEO of the Chartered Institute of Credit Management, and until earlier this summer, the government's Small Business Commissioner. Welcome, Nick and Philip. Good morning. Um, We are recording today's episode in the morning of Thursday, the 2nd of September. As usual, we've gathered gathered up topics which we think will be of most interest and concern to our audience of risk managers. Um, But this week, we're also going to hear some reflections from Philip on his time at the um, SBC and insights on what risk managers who deal with small businesses um, could be doing to help these smaller partners and what are some of the key risks um, that he has has identified during his tenure um, that that people should be aware of. So should we start, Nick, with some of our general um, observations? And I think the British Business Bank um, stats on the COVID loan support might be a good place um, to to pick up on. What have you you gleaned from from the release? Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, we've been railing against the um, British Business Bank for its lack of transparency about uh, you know these these various government schemes, which let's face it have been a apart from the uh, the furlough scheme a major plank in the whole rescue effort Absolutely. for businesses, and and we've now got the the final figures. The schemes all closed on the thirty first of March this year, and um, the BBB says. £79.3 billion worth of loans to 1.67 million businesses. Uh, if, if they were all limited companies, that would be 39% of all limited companies. They, of course, they weren't. Yep. But uh, nonetheless, the scale is gigantic. It's enormous, yeah. 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 And, 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 if, and, and if we're focusing on smaller businesses, then £47 billion went to £1.56 uh, million businesses under the bounce back loan scheme, and and what is different? I mean, those numbers were out there anyway from HMRC um, through through the um, government um, central uh, website. Mm-hmm. But what we've now got at last is something to begin to in- interpret what this means on a regional, on a sectorial basis, and we've got a regional analysis which um, says, unsurprisingly, that the biggest uh, area for borrowing was in London. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. 10, 10.8 billion um, and or 21% of the um, of the money went to, uh, of, of the loans went there in, in numerical terms and Southeast uh, next 14% or 6.5 billion. The Northwest was the third largest, 11% of the, of the loans, 4.8 billion. That's for bounce back loans. Um, the figures are not particularly dissimilar for C-bills, the slightly larger loans. So uh, what is interesting, however, is that you've got London uh, with 21% of the loans, but apparently only 19% of the economy's businesses. So there was a higher intensity of borrowing going on in mm-hmm. uh, in, in London, but in Southeast, uh, less, uh, less intensity in the Northwest more. Right. So, um, you know, nobody's surprised that the money's predominantly gone into London and the southeast. When you look at sectors, and and actually, I found this rather difficult to grasp. Um, with bounce back loans, the construction industry was the biggest 
taker, 7.6 billion or 17% of the loans um, against 17% of the businesses in the the economy. Um, I suspect we're talking predominantly for bounce back loans subcontractors. And, right, mm-hmm. and, and and that is we can, we can, as you know I'm ex construction industry so I can bang on endlessly about the 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 travails of subcontractors but nonetheless anyway construction were the were the biggest takers of bounce back loans wholesale and retail but predominantly retail yeah that's understandable were were the second largest fifteen percent of the um, bounce back loans and the professional scientific and technical area was the third largest. So interesting, but we don't know whether that's for investments because it could well have been, I guess, for well in the, in the investment sector. Purposes. I suspect it's in investment in the construction sector. It's survival. Yeah, let's be simple about mm. that. For C bills, it's slightly different. Wholesale and retail were the largest. Construction was the second largest. But what was interesting for C bills, manufacturing, mm. the third largest um, user of the C bill scheme, and fourteen percent of the loans. We're into manufacturing, and manufacturing only has 4.8% of the economy. Of Gosh, the that is interesting. Of the economy. So, uh, again, that could be for investment. Yeah. Could be. Yeah. Could be. It'll be very interesting because manufacturing has been spectacularly badly affected by um, supply chain issues. So it'll be interesting to see what that does to the ability of the sector's borrowers to repay, repay those loans now that they're beginning to be um, triggered. So... It, the upshot of all of that is that we now know a wee bit more about where this money went. Um, what I would love to think would happen, but I doubt will happen, would would be if the British Business Bank would go on publishing details about the scheme and, and publish information about the repayments. Repayments, absolutely. Defaults. Yeah. That would be, in a funny sort of way, rather more interesting than the gross numbers. Yeah. I mean, as well, I uh, think we, we've made this point. Sorry, Philip, you, you carry on. Uh, I'm just going to say, I think one of the things that's interesting is without the repayment numbers, what you don't know is how many businesses took the loans because they could and just sat on them and paid them back within the first year before any interest started being um, charged. And I, and I, I talked to many small businesses who thought, well, you know, we might need it, so we'll take it, and either invested it or did something with it or just gave it back. And without knowing those repayment numbers, it's quite hard to gauge where it's gone, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. yes. That's a, that is a good point. And I think that we won't... <clears throat> We won't see that. I suppose we, we might see that starting to come in, in through balance sheets. And actually, depending on where year ends fall, we might see that those precisely those companies who have repaid, it'll be showing as a, a um, as a liability, but actually it, it's not really a, a liability to, to be worried about. So again, you know, as we always say, talking to those um, customers and finding out the um, the key the key drivers behind what their their plans are is, is really crucial. I think the other the point I was going to make, and I think we talked about it with um, my colleague Adam Stones um, on our last episode, is having the the detail of of linking the the loans to businesses. Of course, is another really important gap um, that we'd love to be filled. We've obviously done some work looking at the information that's been published on the European Commission website underneath the state aid rules um, but it's not a complete data set and I think with anything when you're taking decisions with incomplete data um, it is always pitfalls to, to be wary of so I think we would we would call for for more information there and I suppose um, Nick that leads on quite nicely to another um, point that we were we were looking at in terms of the not only the coronavirus um, loan schemes that have got to be repaid but also other debts in particular HMRC 
um, debt. We were looking yes. back at some March 2021 figures, weren't we, on on this, which don't make for very happy reading. reading. Well, well they, they they don't. I mean, it's interesting. These were these have only had any real publicity or analysis um, uh, now. And in fact, the article we saw was the first of September, and this is data from March. Mm. Um, but HMRC have calculated that the amount of debt they are owed by businesses and individuals has trebled since 2019. So it's gone from 19.3 billion to 65 and a half billion. And 26.6 billion of that is sufficiently in arrears to make, I'm I'm quoting from the release, to make Mm -hmm. it subject to immediate debt collection procedures, which will come on to a point we'll raise a bit bit later on, which is the capacity to do that properly within the HMRC. Um, 35 billion of this 65 billion is for VAT deferral. So we know that's business related. And 4 billion is subject to time to pay arrangements. And that number may well have gone up. Uh, I think anecdotally, we were hearing um, that HMRC were encouraging people to, um, I think through your network, Nick, businesses were being encouraged to approach HMRC if they thought um, they wouldn't pay. And I think there was quite a lot of... um, leniency on that time to pay yeah. um, arrangement, Philip. And I guess you this is something you would have come across um, in in that period after March when, when the VATS deferral um, ended. Absolutely. I mean, HMRC were pushing out really hard, encouraging businesses and, and, and individuals to say, you know, come and ask. And effectively, the answer is yes. So, yeah. 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 The, the, the final point I'd make about um, this um, huge burden of HMRC debt is what everybody's got to remember is that the position that the HMRC finds itself in over this debt is substantially different now to what it was when this pandemic started, because Crown Preference, which put them at the head of the queue for any uh, any recoveries when a business fails, um, came back in again after a, a long gap in December last year. and And I asked myself, um, two linked questions about this. Is that an incentive for HMRC to be proactive in collecting debt to get at the, the uh, value in the company while it's still there, i.e. To, to push companies over the edge while there's still some value for them to get mm. paid? Or is it a comfort to them and therefore a, an, an encouragement to be more relaxed because they know they're front of the queue if something goes wrong? And and I don't suppose we'll ever know the answer to that. I don't suppose we ever will. So yeah. so the upshot of both of those things, if you then tie in the third element, which we've got no update on, which is the enormous amount of um, arrears of commercial rent. Uh, you know, the British Property Federation said they thought it was about seven billion back in the summer, and that will of course keep kept uh, will have kept on rising. Is maybe not so much with the rent arrears, but um, with the, the bounce-back loans and the tax debt, a huge uh, majority, vast majority of this is with small businesses. You know, 47.4 billion of bounce-back loans, that's all gone into mm. small businesses. It, it has. So that that is the debt overhang that sort of feeds into the issues that, um, you know, with, with which um, Philip is, uh, on, on which Philip is such an expert. But that's my worry about all of this is, you know, it's fine for the big companies um, who 
probably borrowed on a sensible basis because it was because it was there and and they've got the and they had to go through a commercial process let's not forget so for the no, for the right. sea bills and the sill bills there was an underwriting process of sorts that the companies had to go through for the bounce back loans of course they went and I, you, you had some interesting stats in your Grimsey um review, yes. didn't you Nick yeah. in terms of the increase in debt yeah, well, we we thought on the Grimsey review, uh, which we published last month, oh, sorry, July, now um, that uh, the debt of independent businesses, small businesses on high streets and in town centres, was four and a half times higher now than it was before the pandemic, and so that begs the question about um, uh, are the businesses four and a half times more able to to service and repay that debt. Um, I leave that question hanging. Yes, we'll leave that unanswered. <laughs> Indeed. Um, well, I think it's a good a good moment to introduce Philip um, properly, and I'm, I, I suspect there are very few listeners who don't know um, who, who Philip is or who haven't come across him over um, over the years. Um, but let's give you a, a little intro, Philip. So you were in the industry, in the credit industry, as a credit manager in, in pr- practitioner for about 20 years, I think. And then in 2005, um, took over what was then the Institute of Credit Management. Um, and as Director General and then CEO, you um, got the much uh, coveted chartered status um, for, the, for the Institute. And then I know you've done a lot of work with governments as part of that role in trying to promote the importance of trade credit in the economy. Um, and then I think you were slightly co-opted into becoming um, a small business commissioner in January um, 2020, which you held on a, on a kind of interim um, basis until June this year. So I think you've got a lot of, of experience that our listeners will be very, um, very interested to hear. And as I mentioned at the beginning, I wonder whether first you could just give a bit of a reflection on your time as um, small business commissioner and some of the insights that you've, you've picked up that would be of, of interest to our audience. Yeah, thanks, um, Joan, and good morning, everybody. I think um, I should perhaps just correct you and say it was 26 years in frontline credit management before the, um, the ICA. You don't think that so, old, Philip. You, you can no, possibly. Well, I am. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I think the um, you're right. I was asked by government to step in and, and look after the Small Business Commissioner role for six months, which became 18 as a result of delays in, in recruitment um, through COVID and so on. Um, and it was a, a fascinating time. Um, and I think my reflections... Um, I have a few. One is that I think government still hasn't got a handle on what the size of the debt problem, the late payment problem really is. Um, there is a proliferation of stats out there, but there are none, in my view, that really give a, 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 a proper number. The most quoted number is £23.4 billion owed to small businesses in late payment, which was the 2019 BACS data. But when you look at that and realise that it was based on a survey of 355 businesses, um, you know, it does beg a question about how scientifically valid it is. Absolutely. Um, and this. There's nothing that I've seen yet that really pulls together that whole piece. And I know that the small news business commissioner, Liz, is, is seeing this as one of the things that she needs to address. Um, and I think she's right. Um, we need to know the size of the problem if we're going to really address it properly. Um, but I think my reflections are probably generally sort of more personal than that. So I, I spent an awful lot of time talking to small businesses um, over the last 18 months. Um, and I think... For a small business, they've seen their sales decimated as they've gone through closure and and lockdowns and so on. Um, They've seen themselves take on new debt that we've been talking about um, over the last 10 minutes. Um, 
that they hadn't planned to take on. Um, they have seen and they will see a, a shortage of trade credit availability um, as big suppliers of trade credit think about their risk portfolio and look more closely at who they're lending to and how much they're lending. Um, they're now seeing a shortage of, of raw materials. They're seeing a shortage of labour. <clears throat> they're seeing impact on that. And when you look at the shortage of um, HGV drivers, for example, you know some of the large players in the market can throw money at this um, and, and find drivers. Small suppliers are going to find it much harder to do that. Are going to go struggle. Um, we're seeing massive increases in shipping costs. Um, you know, I was trying to buy a, a, a new a new lighting fitting, and my supplier told me that he had previously paid two thousand pounds for a container coming in from the far east. It was now fifteen thousand shipping costs, um, <coughs> dollars rather than pounds. But he would say, I've, I just can't afford to do that. Yeah. The choice is either I lose customers because I can't meet demand or I sell at a massive loss. Um, and neither of those are tenable. So I think there's a real issue there for, um, for small businesses. The amount of documentation for imports and exports has gone up massively. Um, and that has an impact if you're not there. Um, and I think the piece that, that probably touches most nerves is the mental health of small businesses who genuinely suffer. Um, and for them, mm -hmm. you know, for a large business, it might be a few rows on a spreadsheet. For a small business, it's whether I can put food on the table this weekend or not. Um, and that has a massive impact. And I know a guy called James, who I've talked to several times and been on webinars with. Um, he's in the Midlands, and he talks openly about, you know, sleep deprivation, eating disorders, relationship breakdowns, all the result as a result of worrying whether or not payment is going to arrive. And fundamentally, businesses, small businesses thrive on certainty. And that's the one thing they haven't had. Mm -hmm. um, that's the one thing that's missing. Um, and I've seen numerous small business owners say, you know what, we've had enough, we'll just walk away while we can. Um, <clears throat> and we'll, we'll bank what we've made over the last few years and, and we'll go with it. And that has a massively detrimental impact on the economy. Uh, absolutely, because, you know, absolutely. Small yeah. businesses are the lifeblood, aren't they, of the of the economy. And it's interesting, your, um, your point about small business owners throwing in the towel. I think, Nick, we were just talking about the latest insolvency figures for um, for July, and you pointed out again that the the rise in insolvencies comes from exactly from, this from CVLs. You know the yeah. the voluntary uh, liquidation of a company by the directors who are throwing in the towel mm. up yeah. seventy percent on July twenty twenty. Yeah, just again. And I guess from the from the, the bigger business perspective, I mean, I spent a lot of time talking to large businesses about how they were treating their small suppliers through COVID. Um, and, and I think, you know, if I was, you know, still in frontline credit management, I'd be pretty worried right now. Um, you know, I'm looking at, at small businesses whose balance sheet that I can see from, you know, 18 months ago is completely irrelevant to where they are now. So I can't really see a true picture. There's confusion about the nature of what debt might be on the next balance sheet, because is it is it a commercial loan that was taken out under normal terms? Is it a, a bounce back loan that's got you know opportunity for extending to ten years and and six month holiday and so on? Um, and of course, not all providers are are giving those um, that forbearance. So there is mm -hmm. it's no requirement that they give extended terms or or, or holidays and so on. So the the, the nature of what a business is facing is very uncertain. Um, and I'd be worried about my risk portfolio. You know, where was I lending to? Who was I giving credit to? And what did that look like? Um, and I think, you know, the large businesses 
are going to have to be more forbearing. They're having to be thinking about what they're doing. And, and my plea for the last 15 years um, as host of the Payment Code has been around paying suppliers promptly. And that's going to become more important than ever in order to make sure they've got cash flow and can you know, survive. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's interesting. The um, you know, you're putting your hat on as a as a practitioner <laughs> again. I mean, it's been off for a little while, but I think you've 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 had experience over the last eighteen months of seeing this from both sides. You know, you've been talking both to small businesses and large businesses, um, and I suppose that would be be interesting. What what were those key those key risks that if you were if you were kind of thrown back into a a role. Tomorrow, what? Where would you start looking at your um, kind of assessing your your risk portfolio? I think I would I would be concerned about the the level of risk and the vulnerability of of my customers, um, and I would be wanting to find ways of making sure I spread that risk as as far and as wide as I could. Um, and I think I would be tempted to avoid getting into situations where I was a, you know, was the main supplier to a business, that would worry me. So I, I think it's around looking at the balance, looking at the spread, um, and getting as much information as I could. But, you know, getting information and, and, and building relationships so I could talk to small businesses and understand what they were doing and try and get a, a really sort of candid view of their business because that's really important you know and knowing a customer i think is going well beyond the you know is it a limited company or is it a partnership it's around you know who are their customers what are the risks they're facing um, and so on and for many small businesses you know these businesses have thrown in the towel and businesses that have gone bust in the increased cvas and so on mean that the the, the opportunity to sell is reduced and so there's a whole you know i've always said that credit management is as much about selling it as it is about collecting money um and those decisions are going to be harder to reach as well so i think it's it's just keeping your eyes open um and being as widely spread as you can that's an interesting point so actually you think that there will be more sales um pressure coming you know to sell more to a to a newer batch of customers and actually doing the risk management on on the newer customers is a is a key key thing to think about. Sorry, Nick, Absolutely. You... I mean, 2000, sorry, 2020 was a was a record year for startups. You know, yeah. um, and we know that the you know the majority of startups fail in the first couple of years. So you know, which are the ones you want to bank on, and which ones are the ones you don't? It's a big risk. Yeah. yeah, and and I think the point I wanted to to raise that. Um, uh, I think he's out there and, and nobody ever thinks about it. I, I saw it over and over and over again as I went through um, a series of recessions as an insolvency practitioner, um, is that now is actually, as we supposedly supply chain issues permitting, come out of uh, recession and into the recovery phase, this is the time when businesses are at their greatest risk yeah, because growth... Absolutely. Uncontrolled, unfinanced uh, growth kills more businesses than any recession will ever do. And I, I think uh, it was very noticeable after the last couple of recessions that um, you know lenders were more cautious, uh, trade finance was 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 uh, thinner on the ground, and balance sheets were you know were under stress. Um, this is a totally different order of situation. Now, how is a business that has the um, the business model and the ambition and the market presence to grow, how is it going to finance it? Because we know that the balance sheets are bloated. They're bloated with 
um, uh, you know, HMRC debt and bounce back loans. And you know, the fact that the bounce back loan is a soft loan, the fact that the fact that they may have the ability to service it, it's still sitting there on the balance mm. sheet. And and when you're a, a lender or a trade um, uh, a trade credit provider, you know, you're looking at the shape of the balance sheet and saying, how much more can this company take? And you know, we all know that uh, you know. It, Entrepreneurs are ambitious people, and they're, you know, they're ever enthusiastic. And will they turn down um, the chance to grow at ten or fifteen or twenty percent? You know, because competitors have gone to the wall. It's a really dangerous time. And add to that the you know, the lack of clarity about financial positions for smaller businesses mm. out there. First of all, they're filing late. You know, they're, they're, they've got such a delay on filing. And secondly, the amount of information they provide is so limited. So, you know, that's another thing that credit managers really and supply chain risk managers really need to think about. Is- and I think that, that that the issues about the supply chain problems as well, you know, the Bank of England is still saying, well, we think this is temporary and we're not, you know, we're not overly concerned. I think we perhaps have a different different view on that. But again, if you're if you're planning to grow and you're relying on supply chain and being able to, to to make products or to import things if you have delay in that that can really have a, a, a big impact on your ability then to to sell goods and, and and repay um and repay loans and so on um i think one of the other things that we were talking about before we started recording was capacity issues as well i mean we're we're looking at um at this overhang of of debt and how this will will work out uh, at some point. And I think one of the one of the problems that we think we might be facing is that there won't be those signs of of companies trying to enforce debt, or if, the, if 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 debt starts to be enforced, will the insolvency service actually be able to have the capacity to to deal with the um, with the flood? And, and will HMRC, as we talked about earlier, be able to actually start enforcing debts? And for the, the longer that that companies are able to kind of to survive on, actually, the more risk is building up because you know they're continuing to trade and so on. Yes, I mean it's a it's a real problem. I mean my um, contacts in the insolvency profession um, are now talking about the first glimmer of a growth in 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 business. Not so much formal failures, but a lot more directors coming into them and saying, "I just want to discuss the situation I'm in and what are the options and all the rest of it." So that's the first straw in the in the wind. The insolvency profession, in broad terms, is 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 frightened of what could be coming down the track at it because if you know, I I, I keep banging on about this. The greatest number of business failures the insolvency profession in the UK has ever tackled was 2009 after the global financial crisis when when they cope with 24,000 business failures there is much talk about you know uh, fsb has been talking about a quarter of a million some somebody else uh, talked about 950,000 business failures it's off the chart you mm. know and um, if 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 there were 50,000 the insolvency profession would struggle there is another issue in that um, a lot of these businesses have got very bloated um, liability side to their balance sheet and a very shriveled uh, asset side. And let me tell you, a private sector insolvency practitioner will not take on a job where they're not going to get paid if they can avoid it. And so that throws the burden of of dealing with um, failing businesses onto the insolvency service and there is no indication that the government has has grasped the scale of the problem that they could be facing um, 
there. And of course, HMRC, you referred to, um, it's not just can they collect the debt, can they be kind and supportive where they are dealing with stressed and, and struggling businesses? You know, if you're, if, if you're dealing with too many cases, I mean, look at social care, what happens in social care when social workers have too much work. You know, the whole thing goes to pot. Mm. And the same thing will happen with, with the HMRC debt if they're not careful. So that that's, funny enough, my, my bigger worry is not the failures, but how the heck are we going to cope with it? And I hark back to the Asian, sorry, the Asia financial crisis in the late 1990s, where the um, governments all around, particularly places like Indonesia and Malaysia and um, Singapore, had to invent fast track um, no fault in uh, insolvency procedures on the hoof because they were overwhelmed. And something similar may happen here. Doesn't help the credit industry. No. I, would, I mean, I'm building on what, on what Nick has said. I think the other thing, of course, is that as a as a credit professional, you're looking at businesses that are trading. And if if the insolvency profession and if HMRC and if the insolvency service can't deal with all of this, then there's an increasing number of businesses that actually should have failed but haven't. And so they look like they're trading fine and actually they're not. Um, and for small businesses who are supplying them on credit, as long as they're trading, they'll think there's no risk. Um, and suddenly, you know, as this catches up, then you start to see that unwind. Um, and, and I think there's a real problem with that. You know, the, the, the businesses will, you know, the, the, the well-defined zombie businesses will increase because there'll be more and more of them that are just staggering on. And, and no one's taking the final step that would put them out of business. And so they carry on and carry on taking credit and building up a bigger problem. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I, I, I think that, that perhaps there could well be a role more for the trade credit insurance in this period. And, you know, I think lots of um, credit managers of a certain era who I speak to have, were, were quite put out by what happened in the last crisis where credit limits were pulled and, you know, there wasn't much support with the government scheme that was in place last year whether it was needed or not I think you know that's another debate actually and perhaps it would be more useful to have at this point when you haven't got all the other support of the the loans and furlough and so on um but if if the if if trade credit insurance um becomes more taken up by smaller businesses that does give them some some comfort because the, the credit insurers will typically do much more have access to different types of information um about these businesses that perhaps aren't readily available to, to a small business um, who are just trying to manage their, their own, own risks and so on. So I think what happens with the trade credit um, insurance sector will be something really to, to keep an eye on and to, um, to watch. Great. Good. Well, I feel like we, time, is never, time is never on our side. I think we, we originally started this as a 15-minute podcast. I don't think it's ever been 15 minutes. So um, I will say thank you so much um, to, to Philip and um, to Nick. Thank you for, for your insight and for, for taking the time to join me this morning. Thanks to everybody for listening. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.